My special guest today is Victoria Byers, in studio, no less. She has been, uh, for many years, a genre-mixing, paradigm-shifting, reality-slamming, mind-expanding force in the L.A. club scene and is probably uh, best known for her 90s-era series of uh, mind-blowing live music and performance art mythology-themed parties known as the Big Bang. These amazing events brought together such diverse subcultures as neo-pagans, chaos magicians, pseudo-masonic pranksters, rock up-and-comers, fire twirlers, light show gurus, nudists, costume freaks, S&M experimentalists, true believers, etc. These legendary events uh, have led her into her current project, a full-blown uh, meta-theater production rock opera called Holy Whores and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene. It's guaranteed to further tweak your consciousness and create controversy. So, of course, we want to talk about it here on Out the Rabbit Hole. Victoria Byers, welcome to the show today. Wow, thanks, uh, Robert. That was an amazing uh, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. I took some of that right off your page, and we'll, we'll tell people that's the uh, myspace.com backslash uh, holy whores and heretics. That's right, or you can just Google me as well, and I come right up. It's uh, Victoria Byers, B-Y-E-R-S. Okay, okay. And uh, and I uh, wasn't just giving that grand introduction just be, because uh, I like you and we've been friends for a long time, but you really have done some amazing work. And uh, you know, I, I want to say thanks for, for all those groovy events that you put on in the 90s, and I had the pleasure to attend a few and always had a uh, memorable experience yeah, to say nothing of uh, <laughs> the hangover the next day right <laughs> yeah well that, that yeah that that occurred occasionally yes yes uh, so yeah before we get into holy whores and heretics because you know this all leads into it let's talk about the, those happenings you were responsible for in the the 90s what was the inspiration for the this series called the big bang and you know what were you setting out to do? Uh, that's a really good question. There was um, a lot going on in my neighborhood at the time. Uh, I was uh, living in Silver Lake, and um, Silver Lake's always been a, a great bastion for uh, alternative uh, outsider art, and still is. Uh, so there was a lot of industrial music happening at the time. There was an amazing kind of fetish scene going on in the neighborhood that uh, I kind of got in on the first floor and was really intrigued by this idea of outsider performance art and industrial underground music and live music and um, ritual magic, which we were seeing a lot of in these kind of chaos productions. At But anyway, um, there was a lot of um, underground clubs happening at the time, and I was part of that and wanted to take that and synthesize something new that had never been done, which was bringing together a lot of different uh, subcultures that hadn't mixed before and sort of throwing them into an arena together with uh, light shows and loud music and productions of um, esoteric magic that nobody had really seen in a club dynamic before. You used to have to be a member of a lodge or a certain uh, hermetic order to have privy to this kind of information. And, you know, this kind of new idea of information being free, uh, I always thought, wouldn't it be great to expose people who had no idea that this sort of undercurrent was happening, uh, expose the underground? 
And so that's what we did. And, and it really did sort of take off into all these different areas. And you're seeing a lot of uh, multimedia concert events with simultaneous uh, entertainment happening in different stages so that no matter what you're seeing, you're missing three other things. And that really wasn't happening before Big Bang. We sort of took that idea of uh, everyone having a completely different experience and nobody being able to have the same experience. So whatever you were seeing, you were missing three other things that were simultaneously going on. And that's kind of the whole idea behind Big Bang is um, you're seeing something, but you're missing something too. Yeah, I, I think that has some parallels with the just... Uh, things that are, are not uh, a created element, things that occur naturally, su- such as consciousness. And when we all dream, we're having experience. And sometimes we have a lucid dream or we have a dream where we sync up with somebody else's dream. But but often, it, it's it, almost all the time, it's never going to be quite the same experience that we all have just in our walking around everyday lives. And you, you kind of were putting an exclamation point on that and, and introducing all these fantastic art elements. And it... Uh, I know you've used this this term before, but it's so apropos for what you were doing. Is, is the cross pollinization? Is is that you were taking all these different groups of, shall we say, freaks, and and somebody'd go, yeah, I'm I'm a freak in this weird subculture, but who who the hell are these guys? And you know, you didn't weren't even aware of them, and then you'd start, you know, the chaos magicians would be hanging out with the uh, sadomasochists, the, yes, right, <laughs> and, and the the costume freaks, and would all be that. with the nudist. And you'd just go along at at these events, uh, and uh, you'd be in one room, and it'd just be a little crazy and kooky and and wild and fun. And then uh, you'd say, okay, let's see what's going on in the next room. (laughs) Something maybe even weirder going on. And people were hooking up in different ways and connecting and sharing their ideas. And all all kinds of strange things were happening. The only thing I can kind of compare it to would be... uh, the uh, Burning Man, and and I know it... Oh, exactly. It started the same time Burning Man did, and they just went off in a different direction. But it, it was the same people, essentially, that, that were at our events, the Cacophony Society and uh, Reverend Al from the L.A. Cacophony Society. I send a big shout-out to him. He was one of our very earliest attendees and supporters and brought a huge dynamic in with him and, and his ilk. <laughs> Thanks, Reverend Al. And it seems like so many of these people, you know, obviously nonconformity comes to mind with all of this, but there was this whole notion of tweaking consciousness and, 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 and sort of like being grateful that you had this gift of consciousness, but that you were not going to just um, say, oh, thank you, however I got this, but wow, this is a toy for me to play with and I'm going to experiment and, and try different things. And sometimes it can get a little scary and a little dangerous, but uh, you know, most uh, accomplishments in life or jumps to higher levels of whatever it require a little bit of risk. Well, certainly there was a lot of psychedelics going around at the time, if that's uh, <laughs> tangentially what you're getting at. Yeah, they were, that was definitely fueled by that whole psychedelic scene and... Um, and yes, there there is a, a big nod to uh, that sort of consciousness and expansion, and anything is possible. And we we were always looking back to uh, you know Ken Kesey and the acid tests and the uh, Living Theater and all this kind of '60s uh, paradigm shifting stuff that we wanted to use as a touchstone, but then take it someplace much further into the future. Well, it, yeah, it seemed to me that that 
it, it all transcended time because on the one hand you were going back like you said to the 60s but you were also going way back to you know what Terence McKenna calls the archaic revival and going to you know the paleolithic and going back into all these mythological eras of the past and and uh, bringing that forward and playing with with those roles and what that all implies and uh, yeah and then just like I said transcending time and then we're into the future, and it's all mixing up and creating this grand vision of uh, pure art. Anything is possible. Yeah, well, luckily, you know, we do have this huge um, uh, mythological background that we could draw from. There's uh, so much in uh, pagan mythology that um, that we could explore within the context of even a single party we might have two or three different theme room uh, themed rooms that were set designed and uh, we would always put on our flyers you know that we wanted people to wear costumes and explore that area it's so much more fun when you go out and you're not yourself you can (laughs) wear one of the masks of the gods as uh, Joseph Campbell was apt to say and that was part of it, but then also there was this aspect when you got there that um, if you wanted, you could check your clothes in the clothes cabinet and, <laughs> you know, take everything off, and we had body painting, and so it was very sensual, and people fell in love and wrote us letters. We got great letters and had a pretty good membership at some point. It was, you know, over, oh, close to 2,000 strong, and obviously thousands of people were influenced by this. It's sort of like that first Sex Pistols show that 12 people came to, but, you know, they all went out and started their own bands. And this is sort of what happened with Big Bang as everybody went there and went, oh, now I see what's possible. And and then they took it and spun it off in their own uh, direction, which is what we wanted. We always wanted to uh, influence other artists and show them, you know, that there was something else and that they needed to create it. It didn't exist yet. Yeah, and I, and I also think there was just this serious, or I shouldn't say serious, I should say playful appreciation of Eros and, and to, to, to re... Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of public sex happening, yeah, actually. Yeah, but <laughs> we I, couldn't do anything about it, so it's just like we figured, well, you can't pay for that kind of entertainment, <laughs> you know? But I didn't mean that truly in all senses of the word, and, and, and a real appreciation of that, and, and, and I think this leads us into your current work, the... the uh, Holy Horse and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene. And we talk sometimes on this show about the the Jesus mythos. And when I say mythos, that has nothing to do with whether or not any variant of the Jesus story is true or not. It just means that it's a story laden with heavy meaning and symbology and having the power to inspire cultures and shift history. So, yeah, it seems that, that you're trying to present a slightly different angle on the... Uh, narrative in order to shift uh, you know the cultural charge and, and is, that, is that correct or oh could... that's a beautiful way to describe it yeah thanks I, uh, <laughs> you articulated it beautifully thank you very much um, well I always feel like um, you know Jesus is a, a world spirit and that he belongs to everyone and that uh, Christians like to call themselves Christians but really you know Christ is universal and uh, according to the Gnostics Christ is inside you and I mean that in a a really nice way, not that you have to be uh, taken over or believe in this, you know, literal interpretation uh, of the Bible or be born again, but just to recognize that uh, we're all Christ, and it's a really kind of a huge leap 
of consciousness to to see uh, that Jesus isn't out there somewhere, that he's in here. And you don't look out there for Christ consciousness. You turn inside, and once you've once you've recognized where he's living, <laughs> then then you don't need uh, this sort of organized behavior control uh, because you have within yourself what's necessary to make your life complete and to live a good life. And you set a good example. And and Jesus digs arrows. I think all the gods are connected, and you know, there's this. I I, I have this kind of theory that, um, you know, we have a sun in the sky, and and it's our sun, but then there's all these other suns, and each one of the other suns belongs to another planet or a group of planets, and that's their god. But then when you look at the larger picture and you see the Big Bang, you know, I mean, the cosmic one. Uh, with the giant lump of stars and then these spiraling four arms that circle out. That's the real God. And all the other gods, uh, like our sun in our sky and, you know, somebody else's sun in, in their sky, they're just little aspects of the larger God. So they're like a fingernail or an elbow. <laughs> and I like to say that, you know, we're the hand of God, because if you look at our, our location on the celestial map, it's way out on one of the arms. And so... Uh, as a culture and a species, we accomplish things by using our hands. And where we are on the cosmic map is, you know, the hand of God. So here we are, each and every one of us uh, is doing God's work uh, with our hands. And, you know, everything that we do and everything we are comes through our hands. So it, it would be interesting to meet uh extraterrestrials that are on the map where the heart is located. Oh, I've often thought how great that would be to <laughs> find the, the heart center of God. And yeah. wouldn't it be nice to live there? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So let's, um, Holy Whores and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene. This is a project you're working on now. You, it's the, the uh, it's, I, I hesitate to say play. I think you, rock opera is better. You like to prefer? It's both, yeah. yeah. It's And it's, you know, a film project as well. I just started film school uh, two months ago, and, and I'm moving in that direction of uh, putting it up as a stage event, but filming it. And uh, then I want to release it as a kind of a concert-style experience with um, scenes that have the dialogue sort of intercut in, filmed on a soundstage. And eventually working towards uh, a larger budget production, which could be shot on location and you know, really have the feel of a big budget film. But you know, we got to start somewhere. Yeah, well, you have the, the uh, play, or the dialogue is all written. I, I, I've read it. And then you, you have the songs, music already recorded for this. And uh, so uh, you're actually just kind of looking to get people involved in the project. And I need to cast it next. Yeah. yeah. And I know, and I know this is going to happen. I, I I'm, uh, you know, uh, some people might say, "Well, hey, well, tell us about it when it's ready to go." But I, I mean, I know this is going to happen. I know you're going to pull this off, and I know, uh, I, I want to be the first person on the radio to talk about this. <laughs> Am <Thanks>. I? <laughs> yes, you are so far. Okay, because I know it's going to be amazing and uh, uh, a great script and all that. So. Uh, that's it. If you want to help out, you want to maybe get casted in this, they can go to your the MySpace page. Is they that... can look me up. Yeah. yeah, and I've got a um, I've got a script up online, but it's a private site, and so if you want to view it, you know, you need to ask me about it, and I'll give you the the address. And there's a a double secret password, but it's intellectual property. It, and at the moment, you know, I don't want other people to know all the details because they're 
Of course, there are people out there that are developing Mary Magdalene projects, and, and there have been, and there's a lot of books out right now, and, um, and they're all really great, and they're all true. Uh, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and, and everybody's opinion is their truth, which is kind of hard to grok for some people who think <laughs> their opinion's the only one. But, um, but I, I do need to sort of protect uh, the smaller aspects of the story that I'm not even revealing on my site because, you know, it, it, it took me a while to develop it. I've been working on it since 1999, and I, I do need to keep um, some part of it for me. And uh, sharing the rest of the story with the world is, is really big, though, too. All right, and I completely, uh, totally look forward to, to seeing that come to fruition. And I, and I do want to direct people, though, to your MySpace page, uh, myspace.com backslash holy whores and heretics because it is one of the coolest looking MySpace pages. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. It yeah, is, uh, working on it. it, it and <clears throat> the, the, the pictures of you and you're wearing some really hip pink... Uh, That's the shirt I'm wearing today, actually. Yeah, outfit <laughs> with the, the, <laughs> one of the, the funkiest little guitars I've ever seen. Tell me about that guitar. It's just oh, a great... It's, um, Robert Smith also plays this guitar from uh, Robert Smith from The Cure. It's uh, Daisy Rock. Thank you, Daisy Rock Girls. And it's called The Heartbreaker. It's a red heart-shaped guitar. And it, it's it's just a sweet little thing to play. And it's a little bit smaller scale than your average, you know, guy size axe. Uh, the neck is a little narrower, and it just feels a little bit lighter. I, you know, I, I don't want to wear something that's so heavy. I, I, I would love to have a Gibson. I'd love to be able to afford a Gibson, but uh, they're really heavy, and so I want something that's a little bit lighter. I've got a really nice, um, uh, a nice twelve-string guitar that I just picked up recently as well, which has a, a nice sound. Okay, well, yeah, that. But that image of you—you—you you, you just really wear it well, the the guitar and your whole look, and it's and it it I has some bearing on on the holy whores and heretics and the whole. We were talking about the the reinvigorating of the concept of eros and. All, oh yeah, and, thanks. Well, I've written a part for myself, and um, my part is uh, Salome. So I'm not actually going to do the Mary Magdalene part. I'm I'm saving that for the right sort of exotic beauty. Uh, but Salome is really resonates with, with my soul, and she's probably one of the most maligned biblical characters. Uh, you may remember her from the John the Baptist story. And um, so her dynamic is really sort of what propels the story forward and, and gives it its muscle because she's involved in this, uh, well, it's a, not even a love triangle. It's more of a trapezoid <laughs> between um, Mary's brother, whom she would very much like to marry into uh, their family, and then her own twisted family dynamic with her stepfather, King Herod, and her stepbrother, Prince Philip. And, you know, it's written in such a way that you don't really know that uh, Prince Philip might be her stepbrother till much later in the story, but each of them wants her for themselves, and she just, you know, is very uh, disgusted by the whole family <laughs> problem. And she does; she has a, a unfortunate child out of wedlock with her stepfather, who's being raised as her son. So there's a lot of tragedy in her background that she just thinks she can run away from. And of course, we all know destiny—you can't escape it. So she gets pulled back in. Uh, through Jesus' arrest and has to uh, make a, a, a great sacrifice in order to uh, try to liberate Jesus from his fate. 
Okay, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson speaking today with Victoria Byers, and we're talking about her rock opera in uh, the making, Holy Whores and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Did I get that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I always flub up on the subtitles there. But anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Mary Magdalene. I, I, I think uh, people who are Christians have this idea about her. Pe- people who haven't read the Bible much maybe have some vague notion. And, and I think you have a little bit different notion of her... Uh, her role in in all of this and uh based on some some of the uh writings that that you've read so let's talk about your take on on Mary Magdalene and what you'd like to get out there about her oh yeah well first of all i want to say that you know there wasn't a a camcorder present so we don't <laughs> actually know for sure uh any of her details and that you know the the four canonized gospels that we recognize as the new testament have been abridged for uh two millennia so what we're getting is a very diluted story that um that has been rewritten uh depending on you know the caprices of of whoever uh is in charge at the moment but we're re- really lucky enough to have had a recent discovery in the nagamati um Library, which was uh, discovered about mm, 50 years ago in Qumran. And um, these are the expurgated Gnostic Gospels that you may have heard of. And there is a Gospel of Mary Magdalene. It's, um, it's in fragments, and they're putting it back together, and it's, it's kind of short. But I have used almost its entirety in the Last Supper scene. And there's uh, a number of other Gospels that we're exploring as well, the Gospel of Philip, and the Gospel of Thomas, and these are the so-called Gnostic Gospels, uh, basically written by the people who were there, (laughs) (laughs) or near enough there that they they weren't, you know, several generations removed. Well, Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that the people, uh, you know, the Bible, the official quote-unquote Bible that we have was put together by people who uh, persecuted the Gnostics, who were some people who were actually around at the time, and so... The Gnostic Gospels are as likely to be true or accurate as what we normally think of as as the biblical record. Well, even more so, because they were uh, just discovered 50 years ago in a cave in Egypt, and so, you know, these they didn't have an opportunity to rewrite them. They're just in <laughs> Are you intact. saying people did that? <laughs> people still do that. You know, history is written by the winners, and um, Christianity is a, is a beautiful thing and is uh, a a living, breathing language. And so we have to remember that uh, when we're talking about this idea and concept of Christ, that we're all in this together. You know, everybody uh, can come to a love of God uh, on their own terms. And um, and I, I think it's really important to find God in your own terms. So uh, now let's, let's just get down to, to sort of brass tacks here of... Uh, you're going along with the line that it's. I think it was first brought forward in whole. Uh, what is the book? Holy uh, Blood, Holy Grail. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Henry Lincoln's um, discourse that started out as a, a BBC documentary, and um, he had some some cohorts that helped him to uh, do this whole D- BBC series, which they later turned into a series of books. Holy Blood, Holy Grail being the first of them. 
and just exploring this idea that there is a bloodline dating back to Jesus and Mary Magdalene, that they had a family, that uh, the Magdalene had a daughter named Sarah, and that they escaped to Egypt and eventually found their way to France and then uh, later on to Glastonbury. So we have all of these spiritual centers that were, in effect, founded you know, <laughs> by the spiritual center. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, so, yeah, you're saying Jesus ha- had a love life. Yeah, and I don't see why that should be a problem for uh, people out there because, you know, Jesus wasn't Catholic. He was a Jew, and Jews were expected to marry. That was part of uh, the legacy of being a rabbi was that you had to uh, produce a family. And uh, that was the one thing that kept you grounded in this earth. If you spend all of your time sort of pontificating, if you will, <laughs> expounding on spiritual ideas, uh, a lot of the, the Kabbalists think that that will you know, make you insane. You need to have a grounding in this earth, and that's why a lot of the Kabbalistic texts aren't even available uh, until you turn about 40. Of course, now, you know, things are different and you can get all that information at a bookstore or on the internet. You just have to want it. The information age has changed everything. And so the Kabbalah is the um, the mystic uh, wing of... Uh, Judaism, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's the Torah, which is for the everyman, and then there's the Kabbalah, which is uh, the priestly material, if you will. So it's it's what the priests are um, indoctrinated with. And it's a it's a completely different view of uh, religion and the cosmos, the cosmography of um, of our existence. and and it's it's greater than the smaller vignette <laughs> that we're shown. We see this, you know, very small pinpoint. Uh, and then with Kabbalism, you get, wow, the whole three sixty. Yeah, and I think what's so fascinating about what you're doing with this and in, in is the layers of things going on uh, of you know symbology and there's there's the Jesus story and it's one thing that maybe there's a a literal thing that happened but there are are all these layers of of symbology and in it all the the magic ties into it and the Kabbalah and the uh the tarot. Uh, yeah, the tarot. That, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. How did uh, the tarot and uh, ritual magic kind of influence what you did? Well, here? these are my interests. You know, I've <laughs> kind of always been into um, the um, hermetic side of um, spirituality and how to uh, draw all of those threads together, how to knit the skeins together, if you will, of um, these disparate, uh, legs of of spiritual thought. So the tarot is something I've been kind of into since about 1990. I got pretty serious about it. And coincidentally, the same year that I read Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And so the story is a journey through the tarot. And you have the major arcana, which starts with the fool and ends up with the world. And you go through 21, uh, 22 cards of the major arcana which is everybody's storyline everyone's character arc uh, of their life and then we have four acts uh, and those are the pips starting with wands which is fire and then the second act is um, cups which is water the third act is uh, air which is swords 
And then our, our fourth act is earth, which is coins. So we move through the, um, the minor arcana as well, and the uh, story arc follows the uh, pips, what's going on in the story, but also what's going on in the major arcana as well. So whenever I uh, would come to a writer's block and I wasn't really sure, geez, where's the story going to go now? I would get out my tarot deck and flip the next card and meditate on that. And sometimes it you know, took a day or two before uh, the next bit of action came to me. But it's interesting, while I was writing it, um, I wrote it over the course of two years, and uh, the first act came between uh, spring equinox and Easter of 2001. And then a whole year went by, and acts two, three, and four materialized uh, the very same month, uh, spring equinox to Easter, uh, the very next year. So I had this year in between of thinking about it, and I definitely had the muses were whispering in my ear to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. I would get up and I would type three pages, and it would take me hours, and it was like transcribing it like like these pages were already typed in the ether and just sort of floating in front of my eyes and I you know and I was taking dictation <laughs> and then when I'd finish writing it it's whoa I'm knackered and I'd go lie down and three more pages would float up and I would have to get up and type them right now or they'd be gone and this went on it for days I think maybe 10 days where I, I w- had the serious muses you know pulling my sleeves dragging me back over to the word processor and finally at some point I had to say look <laughs> you got to stop this just for a while I got to get some sleep here you know and then let me sleep for a while but then it was you know once again shaking my shirt come on get up we got three more pages for you and that's how it came out and I mean it really once the muses were whispering, they wouldn't stop. Well, you know, that's what they call inspired <laughs> writing, true, truly. It's like it, dictation, really. <laughs> right. And uh, so I, I like the idea that you said, you know, that it seemed like the tarot actually kind of helped you write this. And I, I've known of other people that have used uh, other systems of divination to help them write books, the I Ching, I, I believe. Uh, big into the I Ching, actually. Yeah. I'm really big into it. I, I believe uh, Philip K. Dick used that to help him write uh, Man in the High Castle. So, yeah, so this is a, a, a method that many people don't know about but might want to look into. And, and I think it speaks to this bigger notion of that the universe communicates with symbols. And, and there's just symbology all over the place if you're willing to be open to it and willing to, to engage in certain practices. But, you know, not even you don't even have to so much work at it that way if you just pay attention to your dreams you can get these symbols and in and, and the story of jesus and all kinds of mythology it's just laden with symbols and that's the way mind at large communicates and sometimes regular language english or uh aramaic or whatever we use gets in the way of that yeah and you know we can't turn it off too it's it's always there you just have to pay attention and uh it's everywhere um, let's uh, let me see. I wanted to get into this notion because we've talked about uh, this uh, on the show before. The, the weirdness of how uh, the discovery of the the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Nag Hammadi codexes coincided with 
World War II and the detonation of the original atomic bombs that all happened around the same period. And it also during that time, people started seeing a lot of UFOs in the skies uh, over America and other places. And have you ever uh, you know, pondered the, the weird symbology of, of these synchronicities of why that sort of all? Well, I think human consciousness is ready for a leap forward. And it seems like literally we've been in the dark ages for so long that um, this new age of enlightenment, which I don't know, started more uh, in the the late 18th century uh, with the new kind of ideas of new thought and uh, the spirituality surrounding um, the Golden Dawn and some of those practitioners, uh, Madame Blavatsky and Israel Regardi. Um, Aleister Crowley certainly had something to do with uh, this new interest in hermeticism which has always kind of been around but has been so secretive and so hidden in the shadows. And now with this new uh, information age, you know, everything's there. It's always been there, but we just couldn't see it. So uh, you have brought in some some music. I, I wanted to play a little bit of it that's from you've written or composed. Oh, that'd be lovely, yeah. The, the first thing that's... Um, that's on the the disc that I gave you is um, called Alchemical Wedding. It doesn't have a lyric track on it yet. Uh, it eventually will, but it's got this beautiful little ambient piece, and people always write to me uh, on my page and say, gosh, that's the prettiest thing on there. So I really like it, and it started out as uh, one of our earliest demos. We were, um, oh, oh, I want to uh, thank David Arnson, who uh, helped me to write some of the music for... Um, holy horse and taught me how to play guitar he's a wonderful guy so um we had uh, collaborated on this project and i had gotten us a tascam uh, four track digital recorder we did all of our first demos on that and then they just sat there for years and we eventually went in and did all the rock tracks in a studio and then i came back to these um these first original demo tracks and they're just so pretty and i thought oh i, I need to do something with those so I plugged them into my Macintosh, and I'm so grateful that there are such <laughs> things as GarageBand. And I did these little synthesizer tracks for, oh, I guess I got 15 ambient tracks, and I made um, 30 pieces of music out of that. Some of them are more synth-based, and then other ones have synthesized uh, flute and strings. So they have a different feeling, but same guitar tracks. So that's what this first one is. It's called uh, Ambient Wedding, and it's um, it's a variation on the Salome theme, which you'll hear another song later, Oh Aphrodite, is the same song. It's just reworked. And we have these character themes that get reworked over and over again in uh, different genres, but they are essentially each character's theme. So this is Salome's uh, song, and it's um, Alchemical Wedding. It's uh, the music for her wedding ceremony with Lazarus, who uh, she marries briefly. Okay, uh, yeah, this, uh, from the upcoming production, Holy Whores and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene, and this is Out the Rabbit Hole, I'm Robert Larson speaking with the creator of all of that, Victoria Byers, and yeah, we'll play that piece she just mentioned and be back with you in just a few minutes. All right, that's that's a really nice piece. Now I am just feeling like I've really uh, got to see this uh Fully produced, and I can just tell this is going to be full of all kinds of drama. And uh, yes, that's uh, 
a piece Victoria composed for her upcoming Holy Whores and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene. And uh, you're listening to Out the Rabbit Hole, and I'm Robert Larson. It's KUCI in Irvine. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I'm getting from all of this that y- you want to sort of give us a, a different way to uh, live uh, sort of Christianity. You know, it seems to me that the, the Jesus story got kind of twisted around to this weird toxic place that led us to to inquisitions and witch hunts and subjugation of women and all the way up to the... And behavior control, too, which really seems to be the, the stock and trade of, of your basic <laughs> religious thought is controlling your neighbor instead of loving him. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm seeing what you're trying to put out there is this, you know, re-empowerment and, and re-deification of the feminine as, as one thing. And It needs to happen, too. Yeah, there's so much misogyny in our culture, and it's so deeply entrenched that we don't even recognize it anymore. And the popular media just does not like women particularly, but it does lust after us. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I think that needs to be reintegrated into a proper place of, like, the notion of the, uh, you know, you call your play holy whores and heretics holy whores, and that reminds me of the term, uh, the the sacred whore, which comes out, I believe, out of the Greek tradition where uh, women who performed this ritual, this rite, were revered. And it wasn't like we say now, oh, she's a hoe, and that's a put-down. And, and so it's like the the women can be that, that uh, notion of sexuality, but it's in it's in a revered and respected place. Can you address that, or maybe? Oh yeah, well you know my two uh, central protagonists, um, Mary and Salome, are priestesses in the um, Temple of Ishtar, which is a ancient Babylonian cult, and uh, yeah, they're basically Isis or Aphrodite, the same concept there of um, paganism. And uh, they, you know, had their own houses of worship. And the name is, you know, it's a little postmodern, actually. There's, there's a little nudge and a little wink in there with, with it because, <laughs> you know, these people are not real whores in the classical sense. But in, uh, in our mind, we've turned them into whores. And so the idea with the, the name, and many people have told me, God, I'm going to see that just based on the name alone. You know? <laughs> and then some of my friends say, no, no, you have to change the name. Well, I'm not going to change the name. It's perfect. It came to me, and, and it, it, is, it, it describes what it is that we're addressing here, which is the idea of um, the re-deification of woman, but also in this postmodern way where we know we're making fun of it. You know, we know what we're doing here. <laughs> and everybody knows what we're doing here. So so we're having some fun with the name, but also, you know, we're saying, hey, these women have been demonized in, um, in the mythos of our culture. And, you know, it's taking back the name just in the way that maybe 10 years ago people took back the name queer and said, you know, that's not going to be a derogatory term for us anymore. So, yeah, yeah, I, I can see that it's it's good and it's bad, and, and, and I think that is absolutely what life is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, how do you feel about our current uh, world situation with the, you know, quote-unquote war on terror and, and how, you know, many Christian fundamentalists seem to actually be kind of real keen on that whole thing and 
What are your thoughts on that? Is in maybe? Uh... Oh well, we could expand on politics for a long time because I I really do have that's a, another part of my personality that um, is very much in the forefront in this uh, opera is talking about politics and the um, worship at the altar of gold, if you will. That whole idea that um, that money and banks are are have replaced our sense of godhood. And that we worship at this altar of gold, you know, which isn't really the altar. It's a it's a false god. Yeah, I, I think I I agree with you on that. And it, but I was kind of alluding to also how some of the Christians now they see this war on terror as as do uh, some Islamic fundamentalists as a holy war, and and how that is. Uh, seems to be the extreme end of the toxic uh, religion we were talking about and how we need to swing the pendulum back the other way. Well, the sleepers need to awaken, and they are asleep, and, and I don't want to put them down any further than, than that because, you know, I, I, I feel for these people that they've, they're lost and they're off their path, and they've, they've been walking down a path and they fell asleep under a tree, <laughs> <laughs> and they need to get up and get back on the path, you know? All right. Yeah, that that's a good uh, metaphor, a good way to look at that. Um, tell us, you know, we're just about out of time here, but tell us maybe a little bit about the mechanics, because you have this grand vision. Uh, uh, tell us about the mechanics of how you see holy horrors and heretics being produced, uh, the, the, the vision, without giving it all away. Oh, well, um, first of all, I want to say hi to my son, Tristan, who's listening at home. Um, yeah, I, I want to put it up on stage and... Uh, film it as a concert. And um, obviously I'm going to be casting, looking for uh, the right personalities for that. But I've, I've actually written these parts for people that are already in my circle. Uh, Jesus I've written for Peter Hayes, who's uh, in Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and he's uh, just perfect for the cool. part. And Lazarus I've uh, actually modeled the part on... Um, a great, wonderful friend of mine, Anton Newcomb from uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre, and and he would be wonderful as uh, a Lazarus. But then I've also been talking to um, another great guy, um, Tommy Dietrich from Sky Parade, and he's working on some Lazarus cuts for me right now, and I'm anxious to see what he puts in. But there's some other great bands that uh, I'm asking to help me uh, make this thing a reality uh, LSD and the Search for God are out of San Francisco, and I'm I'm hoping that they'll do some remixing for me. So yeah, it's just all about finding the most talented uh, people who want to participate, and then finding the right character for them to portray. And there's so much great music out there, uh, and so many wonderful creative people. And you know, it takes a village. Okay, and uh, so we're just about out of time here. Do you, any uh, other quick? Uh Thought you want to give us before I kind of close out the show here? Oh, um, yeah. Well, maybe we could play one more song. And I wanted to say hi to Terry Betancourt. And um, then we've got this other great song, uh, Oh Aphrodite, if you can squeeze that one in. Yeah, we, we can do that. I've got a couple little announcements, and then we'll get to that, okay? Great. yeah. All right, so uh, Victoria Byers and her upcoming amazing rock opera that you will be out uh somewhere before uh, your eyes in the near future. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this year, actually. Yes, Holy Whores and Heretics, The Secret Life of Mary Magdalene.